Hello everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you. Our Common Ground Pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages on March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not. There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love. So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with he's just not that into you? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm there. So that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year. Hi, Vanessa. Hello, my love. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Good. I'm excited to see you in special release episode land. It's my favorite place to meet in the dark, cool bonus episode land. (laughs) And we're doing a little bonus episode because we've got a couple of fun things to share. One of them being our t-shirt contest design victory. Many of you voted. I think all four finalists were amazing. But there was one clear winner. And it was Chelsea Cleveland's incredible Nagini design with (laughs) with incredible illustration of Nagini. And then the question got snake milk. I like that our listeners have voted for the thing that mocks us most clearly in our ignorance. (laughs) For those of you who don't remember, Casper and I were genuinely confused as to what it meant to milk a snake. And we heard from, I mean, I would say almost 100 listeners probably telling us that milking a snake does not involve any sort of milk, but it's about poison. It's not a lactation process. <laughs> it's it's a depoisoning process. But who knows? Nagini may be a very special breed. So I love that now we will make this t-shirt. It'll be available in the spring. And you all can wear t-shirts that mock our ignorance. We're very excited. Thanks so much again to Chelsea and everyone who entered. It was such a pleasure. And I hope you enjoyed putting those designs together. We so appreciate all that you did with your creativity and hard work. And so the reason that we were able to do this t-shirt design contest was in large part in partnership with the play The Puffs. So Ariana and I had the opportunity to go down to New York and see the play The Puffs, which is a play for anyone who has never been destined to save the world. And Casper, you were not able to come with us, but I know that you wanted to hear about it. So we thought we would do a bonus episode in which we could tell you about The Puffs play and tell all of the listeners about The Puffs play. And as a Hufflepuff, it gets to the heart of some really disturbing things about what it means to be a Hufflepuff. I'm wondering, could you do a 30-second recap of the play? That feels mean. (laughs) It's so difficult to condense so much into 30 seconds, but I feel you can do it. You've had practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me pull up a timer. Do you want to count me in? All right. Here we go. Puff one. Puff two. Puff three. Puff go. 
So it's about this kid from New Mexico who's American. He finds out that he's a wizard. His name is Wayne. And he goes to Hogwarts and he gets sorted in to Hufflepuff. And he sort of finds out that how he thinks that he's like going to be he's destined to be this great hero. He's an orphan. And he's like, oh, orphans who get sent away always end up being the hero. And then it turns out that being a Hufflepuff is not about being a hero. He like really looks up to this guy, Cedric, who dies. And then he fights in the Battle of Hogwarts and he dies. And a lot of people die. And a lot of funny things happen while a lot of people die. That sounds like your kind of play. I'm it not going to lie. It was like a lot of very funny jokes and a lot of death. And Hufflepuffs. And, and Hufflepuffs. The subtitle of the play is Made for Vanessa Soldan. <laughs> um, like everybody should go see it. It was there's definitely like a joke a minute. The young woman who plays Harry is incredible. And Ron and Hermione are played brilliantly by two mops. Wow. Mm -hmm. These mops embody the redheadedness and the curly hairedness of Ron and Hermione better than any actors ever could. So, Casper, the thing that I wanted to bring back to you from my experience of seeing this play is that what they really talk a lot about in the play is that the Hufflepuff's main virtue is loyalty. And I have always seen that as a good thing. But in the context of this play, we see a lot of Hufflepuffs die. And it just made me think about how we think about loyalty in the context of the seven books. Is loyalty a good thing in and of itself? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like, of course, the obvious response is like loyalty to what? Because, you know, Narcissa's breaking of loyalty at the end by saying, where is my son? Is my son alive? Where she protects Harry in the face of Voldemort's wrath is central to the final turn in the narrative. But on the other hand, we've seen how Lucius's tailcoat turning is one that plays against the alliance of good in the books as well. So disloyalty isn't necessarily good either. I mean, I think what we're seeing is this question of what are you loyal to? Who are you loyal to? Because loyalty can be a trap. You know, I think I look at Snape even and his loyalty to Lily, although it means that he is protecting Harry to a certain extent, it poisons that protection and it makes him act out his own self-loathing in a way on this totally blameless boy. There's a tinge of terror, I think, in loyalty, whether it's about unthinking, you know, support or whether it's about being trapped in the past and not letting something transform. Loyalty can be dangerous. What about you? You know, I've always thought of it as a good thing, especially in the context of the books, because that, I mean, that is what they say Hufflepuffs are. And we think of Hufflepuffs as like the nice house. Right. It just got to the heart of something that I have been wrestling with. And that is in this moment of time in our political context, in 2018 versus when the books were written 21 years ago, if I was to send my child to Hogwarts now, I feel like I would write the headmaster a letter saying, I don't think that the housing system should exist anymore. I want my child to be cunning when they need to be cunning, to be brave when they need to be brave. Like, I want my child to have all of these attributes at the right time. And I think that keeping the houses separate from the sorting hat or separate from identity would be a great thing. If there was like, we've always had these four houses and you randomly get assigned to one of the houses and there's a color assigned to the house, but there's no meaning assigned beyond that, I think is a great thing. But sorting children for their characters is just seeming more and more insidious to me and more and more like the original sin of 
Hogwarts in our book, The Failed Pedagogy of Hogwarts. But I do wonder, even if it was random sorting, meaning would be created. You know, we live in dorms and students are randomly assigned, and yet still there's kind of reputational things that stories get created by people being in groups and having an an identity to bandy around together, especially when people arrive new and are looking for a sense of belonging, even at a cheap, shallow level, like the way that they do, you know, as first years arriving at, at Hogwarts. I do wonder if maybe it starts with a house system, but then as you become fourth years, you transcend the house system and there's a new sort of organizing principle. So you've had that as a foundation, but now we graduate to a next level of understanding, which in some ways I think is what I love about book four, because because we're in the Triwizard Tournament, that is the point that in this year we are we are transcending those boundaries. But because of that dastardly move by Crouch slash Moody, we have two champions and it re-strengthens those dividing lines. I mean, the really disturbing moment with the housing is going to come later in the books. The moment where McGonagall sends all of the Slytherins out and says, like, none of you can fight in the Battle of Hogwarts is just deeply disturbing to me and is so reminiscent of Japanese internment during World War II in the United States. And so I think, you know, we'll grapple with this more and more and what it means to be a part of a certain house. But there is something very tempting to me after seeing this play about saying, I actually don't believe in the house system. So what else did you love about the play? What did you take home with you? So something else that I loved about the play is that they really leaned into the 90s. Kids were like in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle t-shirts under their robes and Nirvana t-shirts. And the music that was playing was like very 90s music. And as somebody who's around that age, it was really fun. Like Green Day. I've been on a Green Day bout recently. Ooh, that's so fun. Invite me to that bout. No, it was like Lisa Loeb. It was amazing. But it just made me wonder about the historical context of the books and whether or not I want to start applying more of that lens to the books. Like wondering about, I was in middle school in the 90s and like you could not really come out of the closet and survive middle school in the 90s and sort of like looking around the Gryffindor common room with my eyes when I'm in there and wondering like who's the suffering student who doesn't feel comfortable coming out. Because I feel like, Those things impact us, right? The 90s were angsty. To be honest, that's why I love reading the books without the historical context. I want to imagine a place where some of those real world concerns are at least abstracted. It's like an empty vessel in which I can bring my questions today. It's an interesting conversation in the fandom. Some people are really interested in creating historically contextual understandings of the text. I'm a little bit on the opposite camp. I want it to be a place out of time. I mean, that's a question that we always bring to our art, right? It's uh, we bring to the Bible of do we let certain things go? I guess because I am not involved in like the fanfic world in any meaningful way, it's going to be one of the most fun parts about ending this podcast, being able to dive into that. But I hadn't really thought about how rooted in the 90s it was until I'd had this like fan experience. It was like, right, their slow songs are Lisa Loeb, like mine. Casper, the one other thing I was really excited to talk to you about is that there is an incredible scene in the show where when Wayne dies, he ends up at King's Cross Station and Dumbledore is there waiting for him. And Dumbledore sort of says to Wayne, like, oh, hey, I'm waiting for Harry. And Wayne is like, um, but I have questions like, am I dead? And Dumbledore is like, 
yeah, and y- you gotta go. Like, I can't have this conversation with you. Harry's on his way. And it really got to the root of Dumbledore's preferential treatment to Harry. And I was just, I was wondering about that. Like, it's for good reason. And in our book about failed pedagogy at Hogwarts, do we see Dumbledore's preferential treatment of Harry as a failed pedagogical choice or as an appropriate one? Well, you know, I th- I feel like this is so not a pedagogical choice. It's a strategic one. He sees Harry as the last Horcrux. I think he sees Harry as a weapon. He sees Harry as a trophy. He sees Harry as a projection of his own greatness way before he sees Harry as a student. And it, perhaps this is one of the challenges Dumbledore, in some ways, was never meant to be headmaster at Hogwarts. His own life story pushed him out of, whether it was the ministry or other powerful positions of using magic. And and I think he hides at Hogwarts. I think he is so afraid of his own potential power and potential power for bad that he is hiding in this tower. He doesn't even engage with the students that much. I mean, in my imagination, when Hermione becomes headmistress, you know, she is going to be an extremely engaged teacher. She's going to be teaching in the classroom. She's going to be coaching the other teachers around the building. We never see Dumbledore do that. And he lets teachers run amok. You know, he's hiding people, protecting them, whether it's Trelawney or Snape, way before he's thinking about the impact in the classroom on students' learning styles. So in some ways, I feel like that's the central let down for us in in our love of Dumbledore and all his majesty is frankly like a teacher he is not. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to, you know, we were talking about contextualizing it historically, but I think that what you're pointing to is maybe a higher temporal context, which is that for Dumbledore, he is rightly still in the middle of a war. Everybody else thinks that the war is over and he sees this as a time between battles, a time of sort of peacefulness, but not a time of like full peace. And so he is still treating Hogwarts as if it is wartime. And that's not necessarily about like, that's a complicated thing. That's a complicated lens to have toward a school. But he's right. I think that often we have to be reappropriating places to be more than one thing. And one of my favorite churches in Harvard Square right now is mostly a refugee center, right? And so I think that the problem with Dumbledore is his isolation, and it's probably a necessary isolation, but the fact that he can't clue other people into the fact that he is seeing Hogwarts as these other spaces is what makes it so hard for us. We're like, but we thought it was a school. Right. So everybody, I recommend that you go see the Puffs play. We made a night of it. We went with friend of the podcast, Chloe Angel, and her wonderful boyfriend as part of Chloe's 30th birthday celebration, and then had some like really intense arguments afterwards as to whether or not Hufflepuff is directly responsible for the Trump administration. So I recommend going and checking out the Puffs play. And thank you to the Puffs for underwriting our ability to get this amazing new t-shirt. And thank you to Chelsea Clevin for her incredible design. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Thank you.